Well, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, and uh, we are almost through with our study of this chapter. Like I said, I think, I'm not, no promise, but I think I'm going to have one more message after this week based on the first verse of chapter 14. But this wraps up our study here uh, in chapter 13. Verse 13, and now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. We started out by talking about the prominence of love, and uh, now as we near the end of our study, we're talking about the preeminence of love. Uh, there's not only much said about it, but there are marvelous things said about it. And that's what we're talking about tonight, the preeminence of love. It is the greatest grace, you could say. And you always have to be careful when you label something the greatest. This is the greatest this or that, and uh, that's very, very seldom ever really true. But when it comes to this subject, uh, we need not fear because God himself calls love the greatest. So there is nothing the equal of love. It stands head and shoulders above everything else, and that's why I'm calling this the preeminence of love. It's far above and beyond anything else. Nothing has so impacted the world as love. Napoleon said... I'm not sure I've ever quoted Napoleon uh, <laughs> other than this, but he said something I think is very noteworthy. He said, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded great empires, but upon what did the creations of our genius depend? Upon force. Jesus alone founded his empire upon love, and to this very day, millions are ready to die for him. I think you got that right, don't you? Another said, where are the empires of Alexander and Caesar today? We look upon their ruins, and in those ruins we behold that what is gained by might and not by right will work out its own destruction. What was the end of Napoleon's achievements? The artist's pencil has well depicted it in the solitary figure who with bowed head and sorrowful countenance paces up and down in his confinement in St. Helena. Well, you, you know, we read that and we could just go on and on and on giving quotes about love. And I, I don't know that there's been any subject that is, you know, more quotable than love. More songs have been written about it. More poems have been written about it than, than absolutely anything else. But, uh, but what makes love so great? We need to think about that. What makes love so great? The Bible says it's the greatest. It's given preeminence over everything else, but why? 
I want to give you seven reasons tonight why love is the greatest. Number one, and really this is the only reason we absolutely need, it's designated so by God himself. You see, the greatness of love is not something that is for man to decide because we don't have the knowledge or we don't have the wisdom to make that determination. This is a matter to be determined by God himself. And so, since God says love is the greatest, we don't need any other explanation whatsoever. Now, some people might suppose something else is more important than love, but they're wrong. God has spoken. We just read what he said. And that leaves no room for denial. It leaves no place for debate because it is, as he said, love is the greatest. And let me tell you, when God says something is the greatest, it is the greatest. And because of the emphasis that God puts upon love, you and I ought to have a great interest in it and desire for it. It ought to be important to us because it is of utmost importance to God himself. It is designated so by God. But not only that, there's a second reason why love is the greatest, and that is because... It describes God. First John chapter number 4 and verse number 8 and also again in verse 16 we read these three words in both verses. God is love. Now think about God and just you know you can kind of let your imagination run wild. How do you describe uh, you know the greatness of God? I mean he is all knowing. God is all powerful. God is ever-present. God is entirely self-sufficient. Thus, he calls himself, I am. He's the self-sufficient God. But listen carefully. God doesn't have faith or hope. Now remember, he's just been talking about these three, faith, hope, and charity. God doesn't have faith. God doesn't have hope. But it says here that God is love, and love is of God. So if you had to describe God in one word, that word would have to be what? It'd have to be love. I mean, that's the only word that you could use. That, that's not my opinion. That's what God said. That's his declaration. It says God is love, and since God is love, then we're never more like God than when we love. We put a lot of emphasis upon the things that we do and the image that we project, you know, trying to leave the impression that, boy, we are, you know, really dedicated, good, godly Christians and we want others to see that in us. And so, you know, we dress right and we talk right and we do all of the right things. But I'm telling you, you're never more like God than when you Love somebody. Real, true, honest love. You don't have to wear a $1,000 suit. You can have on some bib overalls. You can have on your work clothes or whatever. You don't have to be a, a, a college graduate. You can maybe, you, you're a high school dropout. But whenever you have real, genuine love in your heart, you are more like God than at any other time 
in your life. This describes God. That's why love is the greatest. It describes God, and it is also designated by the Lord. But then, not only that, but it's great because of the fact that it defines what we should do. If I ask everybody to take a pencil and a piece of paper and make a list of all of the different Christian duties, you know, uh, there will be a lot of different things on this. Somebody put down, well, Bible study. That, you've got to get that on there. And, and, and prayer, that's got to be in the top ten, you know. And tithing, church attendance, and on and on and on. Everybody's got their list, but I'm, I'm telling you, love ought to be at the top of the list. When we think about our responsibility to God and to others, love is, is our duty in one word. That just sums up everything. In fact, it is the summation of, God's, uh, of all of God's commandments. It's all summed up in that one word, love. That is the job description for every single believer. And by the way, it's a duty from which nobody is exempt. Nobody gets a free pass. Nobody, you know, is exempted from that responsibility. I was talking this morning about the fact that we're not excused from our responsibility just because things are difficult. And let me tell you, sometimes it can be very difficult to love those that do not love you. To love others unconditionally whenever others perhaps are trying to use you in some way. And we, we all know that it happens. I've, in my little notebook that I, well, one of my little notebooks that I keep, I got so much scribbling on my desk at home, I, you know, I, I write down this thought and that thought and put it in this notebook and that notebook, but... I was going to preach a sermon on, uh, on uh, I believe the title was How to Love Those You Don't Love. You know, sometimes we have to be honest about it and admit the fact that sometimes we don't love people like we should. And, you know, we, we don't want to admit that. Well, until we admit it, till we acknowledge that, well, we're certainly never going to love them like we should. That, that is our responsibility. Whoever you are, you have a responsibility. Listen, it's not just to your neighbor. It's a responsibility to God that you love others. You say, well, yeah, but I, you know, they, they mistreat me. They abuse me. They neglect me. They ignore me or whatever it is. And still you have this obligation to love them. That ought to be first on that list of Christian duties. But the sad, sad thing about it is, with a lot of people, it's down here somewhere near the bottom. It really is. By their actions, by their attitude, it has to be placed down there near the bottom. There are people that wouldn't think about missing a church service. Oh, well, they've just got to be there, you know, their service, and they're going to be there. They're faithful in their church attendance. They're generous in their giving and all of these other things. But when it comes to loving somebody down the street that has in some way insulted them or hurt them or grieved them. That's a whole different ball game. And we try to excuse it based on their bad behavior. But God doesn't let us off the hook. This describes what we should do. And there's no other word, no other word that can possibly 
sum up our Christian duty in one word. Love is the only thing that can do that. That's why it is the preeminent of all of the various gifts that are mentioned there. But then there's a fourth reason. Love is preeminent because it declares what we are. Everybody's known for something, right? You you think back uh, to people that are living or those that have gone on, and everybody is known for something. You, you, you just mention someone's name, and automatically you, you think about something related to that person, something that really stands out. And, you know, sometimes we look at a person's degrees, and, you know, they got them plastered on the wall and all framed, and we call them a scholar. Or maybe we listen to a man preach and we conclude that that man is an orator or we hear someone play a musical instrument and we call that person a musician. Or we look at somebody's bank account and say, wow, they are wealthy. But when we see true love, we have to conclude that they must be a Christian. They must be a Christian. Because you don't see real, genuine, true, unconditional, God-like love in people that do not know the Lord. You Listen, you might find some folks that are, you know, considerably uh, generous or kind or helpful in the community. But they don't have a real, genuine love in their heart until Christ is dwelling in their heart. A lot of times, you know, we get overly impressed with trying to impress people maybe with our with our intellect uh, or with our ability you know we well we want to get their attention we want to make a good impression on them and so we just you know we break our neck trying to do something that that they won't soon forget i remember several years ago uh, uh, well back then it was a young preacher someone that i that I care about deeply, and I'll I'll never forget. And I knew this kid whenever before he started preaching, and as he started preaching, and and all of a sudden one day, this kid was preaching at a Bible conference or somewhere, and and it was very obvious that he was trying to mimic another preacher who was quite famous. And since I knew both preachers it was really obvious to me because i'd heard this other guy preach so many times it was really easy to tell he's he is trying his very best to imitate that guy Uh, and it's sad whenever we crave attention so much that we will uh, that we'll do something like that but people just have this deep desire in their heart uh, for people to admire their ability or to admire they, their intellect or, or whatever it might be. I, I would to God we all had that same desire when it come to them seeing love in our life. And the very mention of our name, you know, automatically when people hear it, they think, boy, I'll tell you one thing, that guy couldn't preach a lick. That guy never graduated from high school. He just... Uh, what wasn't really wasn't, wasn't the sharpest tack in the box, and, you know, but I'll tell you one thing. Boy, he loved people. He loved people. Uh, that, listen, that's the kind of a person that we need to be because if love is lacking, 
we don't have any right to expect anyone to believe that we are who we claim to be as Christians because there's no evidence. Whenever love is lacking, all of the evidence is out the window, regardless of how much ability or how great our intellect might be. When love isn't on that list, when others don't think about us being loving, and you've heard me, you've heard me uh, talk on many occasions about, as a young preacher, some of the mistakes that I made, and one of the big mistakes I, I made was being more concerned about being right than, uh, than being kind. And I'll never forget whenever the Holy Spirit really used what Paul said in Ephesians about speaking the truth in love. I'd never done that before, I don't think. I'd, I'd been speaking the truth and uh, beating the pulpit and running all over the platform and very emotional and, and, and God had even blessed in a lot of ways, which is amazing to me. I don't know how he did. But I hadn't learned is to speak the truth in love. And, and I'm still not very good at it. But I'm telling you, that's our responsibility in whatever we do. It's our responsibility to, to exemplify the Lord Jesus Christ in that we have an unconditional love for others. We love them faults and all. We, we don't insist that they live up to some kind of a standard in our life. Uh, my land... Uh, you know, if if parents didn't learn to love their children unconditionally, they wouldn't love any of them because they don't have any perfect children, right? And you'd be surprised how many people have a problem with treating other people with respect and dignity all because of the fact, well, you know, they're not living up to the standard that, that they should. But whenever we have that real genuine love in our heart, it declares what we are. Not only that, here's something else that makes it the preeminent thing, and that is that love develops relationships. Have you ever thought about the fact, you know, the Bible says when God created man, he says it's not good for man to be alone. God created us with a need for one another. We all need somebody else. We all need a relationship. And the, and the magnet that draws us together is what? Well, it's love. Whenever you know that somebody really, truly, honestly loves you, and there's no doubt about it, their attitude and their actions have given you all of the evidence you need. You are convinced they love me. All of a sudden, you know, the... Uh, there's a bond that, that is formed as a result of it. If we're lacking love, we're headed for a lonely, useless life. We really are. I'll never forget uh, having the funeral home call me some years ago and wonder if I'd preach a funeral for some fellow that said he didn't have any family, wasn't going to be anybody there, and this fellow died I, I don't know whether it was homeless or in a home I can't remember the details but I went out there and and sure enough nobody was there and uh, finally near the very end there was someone no family but someone that had known this person that out of respect someone person came up and uh, 
stood there at the graveside. And I thought, oh my, how sad to think that someone has lived, and I'm guessing that person to have been in their 60s at that time. And to think about living here on this planet all of those years. Now listen, that's somebody's little boy. And to live here all of your lifetime and come down to the end and for whatever reason to be so unloved that there is nobody there to pay their last respects. Whenever we think about all of our failures as churches and families and we think about how they're literally falling apart in America and I'm telling you there's nothing that works right when love is missing. We can have everything else, but if love isn't there, it's not going to work right. You know, we can give our kids everything they want. We can buy them designer clothing, send them to the Ivy League schools. We can do all of those things that, you know, try, try to fulfill every desire of their heart. But, you know, it's really difficult to, to fool a kid very long because they know whether you love them or not. doesn't take them long to figure that out. And pity the poor kid that has to be raised in a family where where love is lacking. And to go out here and enter into life without any strong relationships with others because of a lack of love. Not only that, but love demonstrates our attitude toward God. It not only declares who we are, more important than that, it is demonstrating our attitude toward God. You know, we think about all the different ways that we can that we can impress people, and we can deceive people into believing that we're Christians. Uh, you know, by all of the different things that we do, and hopefully, you know, they'll look at our life and say, "Wow, boy, he must be a Christian. He did this and he did that." But it's love that tells the true story. Whenever they see us actually loving them, because you you can't be a spirit-filled Christian without love in your life. It's utterly impossible for your life to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you right now, without being a spirit-filled Christian, we're going to be a miserable failure in life. As I said this morning, because it's not about what you and I do for God. It's what God does through us. We're just a vessel. You know, he's the, uh, he, he's the potter and we're the clay. And it's what he does in us that enables us. And to be a spirit-filled believer is, is our assurance that we're going to love others. Remember what Paul said about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? He gives nine different things, but notice he starts with love. That is on top of the list. And some people impress you with their knowledge. Boy, I've known, some, I've known some people over the years that were so very impressive. I remember an old preacher with the name of Leonard Young back up in Cadiz, Kentucky. And old brother Leonard, he had a reputation for, uh, and if you had asked any of us younger preachers, we had all said, Oh, Leonard's the wisest man we know. Not the best educated or anything, 
but just uh, just an extremely wise man. And sometimes, you know, when we look at people, we think about uh, the greatness of their knowledge or their wisdom, or maybe it's their ability, their talent. And boy, that listen, that is really impressive. Uh, but I could I could name a lot of different people that I've known over the years that it was. Uh, boy, I could sit for hours and listen to them sing or even play musical instruments. It, it's just amazing their talent. Or maybe, maybe the impressive factor in somebody's life is their zeal. Boy, I, I, I remember going to Myrtle, Mississippi years ago. Now, that doesn't mean anything to anybody here, I'm sure. But uh, I, I can tell you a lot about Myrtle, Mississippi, the camp meetings in Myrtle, Mississippi. And you get a bunch of those southern preachers together, and I'm telling you what, you talk about zeal. Uh, it's hard not to be impressed by the zeal that some people have for the things of the Lord. I've been impressed by, by, by the generous giving of a lot of people over the years that's really been impressive it you know made me kind of examine myself and think to myself would i have done that you know wow I, you know I, I can't believe that they were willing to give and, and in some cases it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the amount that they gave it was the fact that uh, they had so little left over after they gave that was the impressive part and so what I'm saying is there's all of these different things that that impress people, but the true measure of our life, the thing that demonstrates our attitude toward God better than anything else is love. Because it's like Paul said, without love we're what? Nothing. Nothing. We're a big fat zero without love. That ought to be important to us. It demonstrates our attitude toward God. Because you mark it down, if somebody doesn't love you, they don't love God as they should. If we're having problems loving each other as a family or as a church, it's because there's some problem in in our life, in our relationship with God. Let me give you one more thing. I think this is number seven. Love is preeminent because it determines the outcome of our life. It determines the outcome of our life. Whatever we do without love, we're a failure. Nobody can be a success in life if love is lacking. You, now, you can be a success without being rich, for example. You don't have to be a rich person to be, uh, to be successful. You, you Listen, you can be successful without being famous. There might not be anybody outside the county you live in that even knows your name. You're not famous. You can be a success without being healthy. There are some people that have been plagued by bad health all of their life. They've lived in pain and suffering and they're not healthy. They've got all kinds of health problems but they are a success. Uh, you can be a success without being really all that intelligent. But you can't be a success without having love in your heart. Someone wrote, 
And I jotted down in my Bible many years ago, love is the backbone of truth, the lever of grace, the heart of the gospel, the summary of Christianity, the motor of all true service, the meaning of the cross and the nature of God, and therefore it must have the preeminent place. And be like the beloved, the chiefest among ten thousand, and the altogether lovely. Wow. Nothing makes you more like Jesus than love. Now, listen carefully and I'm through. You could say that love has a creative power in that it creates our character. Love doesn't just bring out the best that is in you. It creates what is best about you. I cringe every time I hear these people talk about, you know, well, we all got some good in us. No, we don't. We're dirty, rotten, filthy, sinful to the core of our being. There is nothing good about any of us whatsoever. That's what we are by nature. But then the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, according to Romans chapter 5. And boy, I'm telling you, when the Spirit of God takes up His residence within a child of God, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's not that, it's not that we start loving people because we're trying to love them. We start loving them because we can't really do anything else. Because our love for God is starting to create within us the things that are best about us. And all of these qualities that are of such great importance, they all spring out of our relationship with God. No wonder, no wonder. He said, love is the greatest. And if you're lacking love, then you are in great need tonight. And you you ought to do something about it. We're going to extend a verse of invitation. We're going to stand together. I don't know what, I don't know what uh, God might be talking to you about. It might be that you're here and you might think you have one problem when in reality it's another problem. You might think I've got a domestic problem. Things are falling apart at home and you think the problem is the, you know, the situation when in reality the real root of the problem has to do maybe with your relationship with God. And we need to get to the place where we stop blaming the faults of others for our failures and determine that by the grace of God, we're, 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 going, to, we're going to express the love of God by the way we treat one another. Let's sing, brother. Page 438, 438. So...